Welcome to Passports and Pizza, a podcast about everything by two carb-loving, carry-on-only gals. I'm Laura, a traveler and teacher with an appetite for adventure. And I'm Sarah, an artist and food blogger who travels mainly for the food. Join us as we dive into anything and everything that's on our plates and on our minds. Woohoo! Woohoo! So, I don't know about you guys, but You're Laura feeling 22? <laughs> I was going to say, we've been listening to Red Taylor's version on repeat and crying to all too well. It's the literally my suite this week. Is it really? Yeah. Okay, then I won't say too much. Okay. I thought it might be. Yeah. <laughs> That's my suite. Um, so happy Red season for all our Swifties. Yes. Happy it's, Red It's season. a wonderful time of the year for us. Honestly, like, could fall be better? It. And Red is such a perfect fall album. Oh, it's the it's perfect. It's always been a fall album. And then... And now it's going to be like Evermore season. Oh, yeah. It's a good or, time. Or Woodvale. Let's hope. <laughs> For anyone who's like, what are they talking about? <laughs> Get hip. Yeah. <laughs> Get hip. Yes. Literally, I'll just go right into my suite. So my suite this week is Red. <laughs> Which I will admit, I had slept on so hard mm-hmm. when, even I was when I was like discovering my love for Taylor post folklore evermore lover era. That I was like, okay, I think I like Taylor Swift. Mm-hmm. I slept on Red. I loved 1989. I was like, you know what? I do like 1989. You know what? I do like Reputation. <laughs> well, I don't know why Red never was a thing for me. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I knew All Too Well was like obviously a banger, um, <laughs> but. Her release of this album has been everything. Like, <laughs> first off, she's yeah. glowing. She's she's thriving. She's giving us that callback to the gaslighting high school boyfriend we all are now over, but like still have the maturity to look back on that experience and just be like, yeah, that guy was the worst. <laughs> So I thank her for all of those reliving of those experiences. And Mm -hmm. although I am late to the game, Red has been like the rollout of Red and the, you know, it it became like an event that I wasn't really expecting, but Mm -hmm. loved. Yeah. Like I I looked forward to every single step of the release. (laughs) I mean, the whole sad girl autumn. I mean, by the time this this episode releases, there's going to be like, (laughs) this will be old news. Yeah, yeah. But... Yeah, it's just been, like, the greatest thing is this album release and everything involved in it. So I've been really enjoying that. I agree. My Lots of joy. Yes, absolute joy. And just the, like, level of care and, like, detail put in everything. It's, like, every little thing you can read into and the whole community is, like, lit up. Mm-hmm. So that's really fun, too, is to feel like you're part yeah. of a community and, like, you're figuring out mysteries. Yeah. That's what I love about being a Swifty. Yeah. It's, it's really fun. She makes it fun for us. Yeah. Okay, my salty is on a complete... Well, I guess it is Taylor Swift adjacent, because that's to do with my cat. Okay. <laughs> so um, my cat, Vincent, is just the best. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I have a cat that is a messy pooper. Oh, no. <laughs> like... This is not where I thought this was yeah. going. Okay, so we got, uh, you know, a, an average litter box, but then we put a box over it so it looks a little bit more aesthetically pleasing, blah, blah, blah. And he's been fine, but, like, I've noticed ever since he was little, he would go in the litter box <laughs> and he would stick his head out 
while he's doing his business. But then he's just like, and then he'll just scoop all this stuff out of the litter box onto oh. the floor. Okay, yeah. So there's just litter everywhere. <laughs> so then I'll just go out there and I'm like, oh my gosh, look at all this weird, dusty like stuff on the ground. Let me sweep that up. And I love him, but like, can you please be a little cleaner? Yeah. <laughs> and also I'm just really self-conscious that like someone's going to come by unexpected and like never see the house. And then we're going to go to the litter box room and there's just going to be a poop on the floor. Yeah. And uh-huh. I can't figure out what to do. So if anyone out there is a cat owner and like knows a litter solution to this, because the litter is so fine, it's like sand. Mm-hmm. It, it'll, it kicks out everywhere. Even if it's in the middle of his paws, it's going to end up somewhere on our hardwood floor. Yeah. I don't know what to do about it. I don't know. I'm not a cat expert. Okay. So cat people, you have to let me know your like litter secrets. How do we stop the litter from getting out of the box? But I know that. I've learned that cats are very particular about their whole litter box situation. Oh, for sure. You might want to try a different kind of litter. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. But I've tried, I don't know, but like, I still want it to be absorbent. Mm-hmm. I don't want it to be like weird, I don't mm-hmm. know, like recycled paper or something. Because some yeah. people say that. I don't know. <sighs> yeah, maybe he just doesn't like the way the litter feels and stuff. And so that then he's doing things like that. Yeah, help a girl out. Cat people, <laughs> please. I need your help. Yeah. So we go from Taylor Swift to cat litter. Yeah. So, you know, overall life's pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my salty is that I'm in the process of changing my name back to my maiden name. She's going back to Lenten. Yeah. Going from Cornelius back to Lenten. The bureaucracy of all that. Uh, It's just, yeah, like, I've said this before. I'll say it until the day I die. Changing your name in the 21st century or whatever we're in, it, it doesn't make sense. Like, it, it I will seems way never too recommend complex. it. It is. Like, uh, there are just so many steps because I have a million things in my name. Like, even yesterday, I went to Panera and when I went to pick up my order and it has a little receipt attached to my bag and it says S. Cornelius. And I thought, oh, oh my God. I was like, I mean, I'm going to have to change my name in my freaking Panera account. Just like think about all the things, especially online. I know. Where like, you know, not that it like those things matter that much, but it's just all these places where your name yeah. is somewhere. Your and it's footprint like, is everywhere. Yeah. It's like all your bank accounts and credit cards. I, you know, I was just at the DMV yesterday, did the social security card. I've got like all of my like mortgage kind of things, like my car. It's just every little part of my life is attached to my name. And when you actually have to go change all of that, yeah, it is such a pain And not to mention, like, in my case or anyone else in a similar scenario, like, every time I do this, it's just a reminder of the crap that I've been through. And it's like, why do I have to keep reliving this? Yeah. And just this, like, you know, it's such a, like, transformational thing. And it's not like, ooh, I got married. I'm changing my name. Like, (laughs) I'm, like, stepping into this new chapter of my life. Like, for me, it's like, oh, no, I tried that and it ended. And now I have to go back to where I was, you know? Part of me is, like, can we all collectively just stop? Like, yeah, like, guys. Or could we, like, fake it? it? Could we, like, like, yeah, on all your paperwork and, like, your credit cards, you keep your maiden name, but, like, your Facebook name is the same? Yeah, but even that can get annoying. Yeah. 
It's yeah. yeah, and it's like obviously there are plenty of reasons to change your name. Like that's why I ultimately right. did when I got married. But like, I do not recommend it. I do not. If you're on the fence, don't do it. <laughs> yeah, don't unless you're like all in a hundred percent and you're like, I really, really want to change my name. Right. Like Jesus, take the wheel. Good luck. But I, I will never ever change my name. Ever again. I don't care if I get married again. I don't care if I have kids. She's staying My Lenten. name is staying Lenten. The nickname Lenny can come back around. Not that it ever left. <laughs> but I'm I'm going to be a Lenten. That's what it's going to be. Through and through. <laughs> yeah. Well, Godspeed on all your bureaucracy paperwork stuff. Because literally <laughs> that stuff is this that, – that alone would set me into a spiral. Well, and it also sucks because – the time that I'm trying to fit it into my life is usually like my lunch breaks. Right. Your time to relax. And if I'm not doing it then, then it's like my evenings or my weekends. Like, I don't want to be doing this. No. But I have to. Yeah. And then it's like every time I go to the doctor, I'm going to feel like, like, because I remember the last time I changed my name, you go to the doctor and then they can't find your files. And it's like, well, look for it under my maiden name. It's like, oh, there it is. (laughs) You know, so now I'm going to be like, oh, like it's changing back. And it's just a mess. It's an absolute mess. Yeah, that's, that's, that's not great. I'll be glad when it's all taken care of like three years from now. (laughs) You know what? Just take it as slow as you need to. Yeah. Like, I know you probably want it to be just like over, but yeah. Take it as slow as you need to, just to have your peace of mind. Yeah. I'm that kind of doing like one thing a week. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good system. Yeah. So oh, so then my sweet is that I dyed my hair. <laughs> yeah, you guys, our hair is so different. <laughs> Especially Sarah's. Yeah, so I I used overtone, which is this like leave-in conditioner semi-permanent hair dye thing which i had never used before but my friend kelsey who normally dyes my hair recommended it because i wanted to go brown (laughs) yeah like a you wanted a like describe the brown you were going for i was going for um just like honestly a very traditional brown like a chestnut chestnut warm but pretty dark like medium brown yeah like solid brunette like rory gilmore yeah Kinda. Yeah. Maybe a little warmer. But a little yeah. warmer. Yeah. So <laughs> so I got the overtone color chocolate brown. But for whatever reason, like maybe with my hair being as blonde as it was or whatever, I'm a redhead now. <laughs> yeah. Sarah's just like, she sent me this photo and she was just like, she's giving red realness. And I was just like, this is really red. Like, <laughs> like I, the one guy at work was like, who's the redhead? You know, like. <laughs> Um, which I'm fine with. It was another color I was considering. So it's, it's very like auburn. It's not like bright red, but it's more red than brown. Yeah. I would say it's like a straw. It's like a dark strawberry blonde. Uh Uh-huh. Cause your, your blonde is still peeking through. Well, also I think my blondest pieces are just not holding the color at all. It's fading very quickly there back to blonde. It's definitely noticeably different though. Yeah. Definitely. It's definitely the most um, different my hair has ever yeah, been. Yeah, is this like the most drastic hair change you've had? I think so. Yeah, because I've always been like somewhere in the range of blonde. I did try to dye my hair brown several years ago with like a box dye, but 
it wasn't different enough for anyone to really tell. Okay, gotcha. So this is more drastic than that. Yeah. So, and I mi- still might the next time I want to switch it up a little bit. I'm probably going to try to actually get the color that I was looking for. Yeah. And then I might go back to blonde for the summer. We'll have to see how I'm feeling. They say when a woman changes her hair, she's about to change her life. (laughs) Well, I changed my life and then my hair. Yeah. This is my divorce hair color. I just like to change my hair. So, (laughs) yeah. I think you should keep it this color. I think it looks really good. Yeah, I think I'll keep it like this for a bit. Yeah. Ride it out. I also got um, for my brow products i got like colors i probably wouldn't normally get like i got the auburn brow gel yeah. to help like tie my eyebrows into isn't my it hair. weird to see your eyebrows different colors than your hair well yeah because it was like my eyebrows were looking like so um cool toned and dull and then, right and then you're like compared to warm. my warmer hair so just this like very subtle like auburn brow gel and a soft brown brow pencil just helped to like tie it all in and then because i'm like this crazy makeup person now i just got the faux freckle thing you did not i did and so like the other night i had like i'm like a redhead now with like fake freckles you're like wendy's yeah (laughs) i'm not that red no you're not no you're not it's like if wendy's was like a really Cute. Like chic, yeah, like chic. a cute kind of like hipstery girl nowadays. <laughs> I'm sorry, that wasn't a diss, but whenever I think of like redhead and freckles, I'm yeah. like Wendy or Anne of Green Gables. Yeah. I mean, I kept the freckles like subdued, you know, like they looked pretty. I think natural. I would look whack with freckles. I think I would look absolutely <laughs> whack. I feel like your coloring, yes, like yeah. I can see I you. Do freckle yeah, a little bit I can in the see summer. you having freckles. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you won't catch me. That's funny. Okay, this episode, we have a special guest. It's not just the two of us. Yeah, we have an interview, and we're talking all things coffee. Coffee, exciting. Yeah, so we're gonna have like a tasting with one of our favorite coffee companies in Lancaster called Passenger. Mm-hmm. They're great. We love them. We do, and we're gonna talk about all things coffee. Yeah. So we hope you enjoy this interview. Yeah. All right, so we are here with Evan Howe, who is the director of coffee at Passenger in Lancaster. One of our favorite coffee places in the whole city. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So to get started, Evan, can you please just give us a little bit of a background on your relationship to Passenger, the company, and how you ended up as director of coffee, and maybe even start with like you know, what was your first moment falling in love with coffee? Like, how did you end up here? What's your, what's your whole backstory origin story of you and coffee? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first off, just thanks so much for the opportunity to spend a little time on this crisp November morning with you guys. <laughs> it's a perfect sure. morning. For it's, yeah. it's a perfect morning for coffee. I don't know like a non-perfect morning for coffee, but this morning feels especially perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's really ideal. Anyway, it's, it's quite a pleasure to be here with you guys and, and talk about coffee this morning. So my story and how I got started with coffee, if we rewind a number of years back, I was living in Washington, D.C., and not working in coffee, I was actually a librarian um, and was sort of 
interning at the Folger Shakespeare Library, where cool. I was sort of on a path to sort of becoming a rare book and manuscript librarian. That oh. is so cool. That's very on brand for us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I'll need to hear more about yeah. that later. Very interesting. Um, but in the part of D.C. Uh, where that library was located, it wasn't terribly far from a specialty coffee shop called Peregrine Espresso. Mm. Peregrine was kind of one of the first specialty shops. In fact, the location before Peregrine was called Murky Coffee and was like a semi-legendary uh, sort of specialty coffee shop in D.C. One of the first to kind of present coffee in a very different way in the mm-hmm. city. Um, and in ways that all of us as coffee fans would be very familiar with now. Uh, so Peregrine was a place where for the first time I was tasting not only sort of single origin coffees, but in some cases, single farm lots, single producer lots, variety Mm -hmm. separations. And as someone who already enjoyed coffee, kind of blew my mind. It was definitely kind of the aha moment place Mm -hmm. because every time that I would go into Peregrine, I felt like I would have an interesting conversation with one of the baristas and I would experience just a a diversity of flavors in coffee that I didn't really realize was possible before that. So I basically just made myself very, very annoying and (laughs) went there a lot before my shift and would sort of ask as many questions as they would entertain Mm -hmm. um, and became very fond of that shop. A little bit later, I saw that they were hiring for part-time barista gigs and I was still working in archives and libraries, but I had a little bit of extra time and I thought, well, I've really gotten into home brewing at home, but I'd love to take kind of a deep dive on espresso. So mm. maybe this is a bucket list opportunity, um, even though it's unlikely that I'll work in coffee long term. Perhaps I can work at this shop, learn on really great equipment from very experienced folks, and at least learn a lot about es- a lot about espresso kind of in their environment as opposed to trying to replicate something like that at home, which Mm -hmm. was probably far beyond my budget. (laughs) Yeah. Uh Uh, So yeah, I became a barista part-time at Peregrine Mm -hmm. and predictably uh, the rabbit hole just kind of uh, took off from there. So I became a full-time barista. I ultimately quit working in archives and libraries, became a quality manager. And then at a certain point, uh, that group of cafes that to that point had been serving counterculture coffee, Mm -hmm. decided to make the transition to starting a new company to roast for their own cafes. And at that point, I got a really, really um, amazing opportunity to learn to roast coffee and learn to source coffee to support the beginning of that company, which is called Small Plains. So Small Plains is now uh, still exists as a really, really amazing specialty coffee roaster in Washington, D.C., and I was kind of employee number one for the first couple years. Wow. Okay. And I, sorry, this is a very long story, but as That's a part fine. of that experience, I got to know, of course, because I needed to learn where to buy coffee, I got to know a lot of folks on the coffee importing side, one of whom was David Stallings, who is my predecessor here at Passenger. Because at the time, he was not only director of coffee for Passenger, but he also worked for a specialty green importer called Collaborative Coffee Source. Mm. And so I got to know David because I needed to buy coffee. Mm -hmm. And Collaborative Coffee Source was, 
I, I gradually became aware was sort of the importer that was bringing in a lot of the coffees that I was most excited by. Mm-hmm. So I got to know David. We started traveling together. Uh, through that relationship, I got the opportunity to come to Passenger and okay. approaching three years as director oh, of coffee here in, here in Lancaster. I can see why they picked you for this position. It yeah, just seems like you had the perfect... Um, you know, transition and your pathway led right to there. Yeah. Yeah. That also makes me want to know now, do you have like an elaborate home coffee setup? What's your home coffee setup? Can you afford that now? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think in terms of the deep dive on the espresso front, um, probably still no, just because of how (laughs) crazy that world gets. Yeah. I think it's also true that, um, in some ways, transitioning to working full-time in the industry, uh, while I still absolutely enjoy brewing coffee at home and very much, I would say like most weekends, at least Saturday morning, Sunday morning, I will enjoy making some brewed coffee for my partner and myself in the morning. Mm -hmm. Uh, in some ways I do a little less brewing at home just because you're always around coffee. Mm -hmm. So if you drink too much coffee before work and then come to work and need to taste coffee Uh, all day. It's very, Uh very easy to become way too caffeinated. (laughs) Um, So I do have a simple pour over set up at home, but honestly, it's not that exciting. Um, (laughs) It's if anything, it's become a little more modest since I transitioned to working in the industry. I have to say personally, um, the the tea kettles that are over here, Luke and I went to passenger so often we were like, we have to get that kettle. I love it. It's the perfect. I didn't know that's what you guys got the, got the gooseneck going at home. Got to get the gooseneck. Yeah. It's yeah. So going back to passenger, um, hashtag gooseneck kettle. Yes. It's worth it. Invest. Um, sorry, I have to get closer to the mic. Um, so going into a little bit more about passenger. So, um, we obviously are intrigued by the name because we are passports and pizza. We travel and we also love our food and our drink. Very true. So we were wondering, could you tell us like the creation of the brand and the name and how that came to be? Absolutely. So, I mean, with the caveat that I'm sure that our founders uh, could maybe give you a slightly richer story um, mm-hmm. regarding how the name was chosen. My understanding is that um, the three people that were most directly involved with the start of Passenger, Crystal Weaver, Kyle Sollenberger, and then David Stallings, who I mentioned earlier, uh, they're all from this area. Um, and they also all had done a lot of different, pro- been involved in a lot of different projects and interesting jobs in much bigger cities. So um, San Francisco, Seattle, Boston, New York, they all had sort of... Uh, moved around and been involved in various food and beverage product projects in those cities and then ultimately decided to return to their hometown and start innovative creative businesses in Lancaster County. And so I think that on some level, the name passenger reflects the fact that especially at the time of passengers founding, they really were moving physically across the country quite a bit, especially in the early days before they all relocated here. Um, and then additionally, I think the nature of sort of the coffee supply chain, unfortunately, coffee, at least based on everything I know, will not be a local 
agricultural produce anytime soon, Mm -hmm. at least in this part of the world. Right. And so trying to source coffee in a transparent, sustainable, personal way inevitably involves a lot of traveling or at least a lot of, uh, well, <laughs> it's a journey, right? right. It's, uh, there's, there's a lot of physical distance involved and, uh, communication and logistical challenges. So I think in a variety of ways, passenger alludes to that kind of constant movement, constant journey, and also on some level, the adventure of mm-hmm. trying to build something in this beautiful county that is drawing on products that are produced so far away. I love that. That's well said. I also personally love the name Passenger because as a coffee lover who lives in Lebanon County that is not exactly known for its coffee scene, um, I always think of coffee and especially coffee shops like Passenger as one of my favorite activities when I am in a new city. And it's like coffee shops are such a perfect place for a passenger who's passing through an area to pop in and get something that feels familiar, but also experience the local scene. And coffee always is the passenger whenever you're on your way. Yeah. It's like in the car with you. you. Yeah. Yeah. Get on a road trip. Yeah. I think that's a lovely way of putting it. And I, it really resonates with me as well. I think, you know, certainly passenger and and the community that we've built over time and, and feel very privileged to be a part of in terms of the network of customers and guests and wholesale partners that we feel very grateful to work with. That's definitely part of the community that you're talking about. But I also think just the specialty coffee community broadly, internationally, mm-hmm. it truly is a community in a really lovely way such that uh, for those who enjoy coffee and that style of coffee and that community, it really is true that you can go almost anywhere and immediately witness signifiers that kind of put you at ease and make you Mm -hmm. feel that you belong and that you're comfortable and that you understand the context. And it also can be such a great jumping off point to connecting with folks that you haven't met before. Right. And then also like different regions or different countries that serve their coffee differently. So it's like something kind of familiar, but you might get it in a slightly different way and learn about a different culture. Yeah. Different area of the world. So yeah, there's so many different ways to take the name of passenger, which is really interesting. Absolutely. So Evan, you're going to take us through a cupping, which we honestly have no idea what that even is. Um, and I'm sure our listeners don't really know either. So sure. before we get into it, can you please explain to us what we're about to do? Yeah, absolutely. So um, because we're sharing this information um, you know, with listeners, obviously, this isn't a, a video scenario. Mm-hmm. I'll try to paint a little bit of a picture of what we're looking at. Um, so the three of us are, are seated at Passenger's main cupping table in our training lab, which is basically just a large table at a slightly higher height because we generally cup coffees standing and kind of walking around the table. And Cupping, or as it's sometimes described, cup tasting, is essentially just a very, very simple way to taste multiple coffees comparatively, Mm -hmm. either on your own or as a part of a group. If you think about uh, the ways that we often brew coffee to enjoy at home, whether it's using that gooseneck kettle to make a pour over, or whether we're using an auto drip machine, or whether we're making espresso, 
Um, that's a really great way to prepare a single coffee or maybe two if we're going to brew a couple different pour overs to enjoy comparatively. But if we're tasting 30 coffees, that very quickly becomes kind of untenable mm-hmm. to prepare them in that way. So essentially, uh, what you'll, what you'll see at a cupping is some type of a lineup of small, usually ceramic or glass kind of bullion bowls, more or less. Mm-hmm. There's a small sample of ground coffee that is weighed so as to make sure that it's the same dose in each cup. And essentially then you pour water right off the boil into each cup in the line. Um, and it essentially brews similar to a French press. You're just steeping the coffee in water. At a certain point, you skim the sort of crust of coffee oils and grounds off the top, let the coffees cool a little bit, and then use more or less a soup spoon to taste small amounts of each cup comparatively. So the basic idea is this is a protocol that exists within the industry, but is also a really fun way to taste coffee at home or at your favorite sort of coffee roasters, uh, um, cupping event or wherever cupping kind of occurs in your community. It's a way to simply, um, and comparatively taste a series of coffees together in a way to try to compare and contrast. Um, so this format is used all around the world um, within the trade. So an exporter in Bogota, Colombia, would get tons of samples from farmers and sources locally, screen all those samples, sample roast them in a smaller roaster. So not like a production roast, but like a small little roaster and then line up all of those samples and taste them in this way um, as a way of deciding potentially which coffees are they going to buy and then attempt to export or sell to an importer, sell to a roaster, mm-hmm. you know, importers, roasters, baristas, quality managers, um, generally all of these different actors within specialty coffee learn to taste coffee in this way. And depending on the purpose, they'll learn to taste um, quite not only qualitatively, but also quantitatively. So there is a scoring protocol that also exists for the cupping format such that you can assess in the same way that maybe a sommelier would evaluate in a, in a quantitative way the sensory characteristics of a wine that they're assessing you know Mm -hmm. so if you think about point scores for wine there's a similar sort of point scoring process for coffee that just allows folks that are making decisions about buying and selling Mm -hmm. to have some type of shared language regarding the perceived quality of the coffee and use that as a reference for pricing value Mm -hmm. trading etc so like what kind of categories are there in the scoring absolutely (laughs) he has a printout so (laughs) this is a much simplified um, sort of cupping form that we've developed kind of for these types of situations. So uh, a cupping form that I would use if I'm making a buying decision would be a little different than this. It would be a little, uh, <laughs> a little more boring to look at, honestly, <laughs> but a little more set up to generate a numerical score. But the categories are basically the same. So generally, and we can kind of 
uh, look at the first category here. So I've set up three cups for us in order one, two, and three. And in any cupping, generally, the first thing that you do is assess the fragrance. Fragrance in this context refers to the dry fragrance. So any aromatics that we get from the dry grounds before we add water. So aroma is any aromatics we get after adding water. So dry fragrance, wet aroma. So Hmm. in a cupping, all you do is pick up a cup, maybe give it a little agitation, and give it a little smell. You guys are more than welcome to check that out. Sarah's on it. And I think there's a variety of things going on here. So just like anything else, it may be something where, you know, in this box we could jot down other foods or beverages or Mm -hmm. qualities that this reminds us of. I definitely smell chocolate in this one. Right? Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. Very chocolatey. Chocolatey, yeah. And there's also sort of an element with this where there are certain defects that we learn to sort of look for from a quality sort of perspective. So when you're making a buying decision in a cupping, that's another thing that you're checking here is on one hand, trying to make note of all the pleasant qualities that you detect, but also making sure that you don't get a red flag. So uh, something on the dry fragrance or the wet aroma that might imply that something went wrong with the coffee during processing or in the farm or whatever. So it's, it's a little bit of risk management as well when it's a purchasing Mm -hmm. decision. But if we move to cup two, check that out, see how it presents comparatively. That's smell that. Kind of a different it's, zone. Yeah, I'm trying to try to figure out like exactly what I what I'm smelling. It's definitely not as like roasty chocolatey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's a little lighter. Yeah. A little sweeter. Mm-hmm. Let me try it again. I don't want to say it's floral, but that would be a reasonable thing to say. It would be yeah, like absolutely. a little fruity. Yeah. yeah. Maybe. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Let's see what I can get here. I feel like this is like a sommelier like esque yeah. experience of <laughs> So for me, I think those notes are right on the money. I think okay. it, it definitely has a mild florality. Mm-hmm. It definitely has maybe more in the way of sort of sweet fruit aromatics going mm-hmm. on compared to cup one. Yeah. Yeah. Um no, absolutely. Yeah. I get like something maybe a little like slightly peachy. I yeah, almost yeah, said yeah. peach. Right? Yeah, see? Because the first one's like chocolate hazelnut yeah, to me. Again. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, like it... <laughs> like it kind of reminds me of like... It's like still a little chocolatey, but like chocolate with fruit. Like, oh, a chocolate-covered strawberry. That's a great <laughs> note. I love it. <laughs> All right, try out three. Okay, here's three. I love this. Oh, this is... Whoa. Oh, <laughs> Listeners, I wish you could see these facial expressions. There are some, there's wow. some wide-eyed delight happening yeah. on the other wow. side. Now I want to smell the other one again. Oh, the- <laughs> yeah, that's totally different. So, like a completely different level of fruit. Absolutely, right? that's like a punch to the face that's with like, the fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like like cherry, mm-hmm. juicy fruit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow, maybe even a little, maybe a little more tart, maybe a little more candied. Some like yeah, less fresh a fruit sweetness, yeah. Mm-hmm. T- with that coffee, yeah, like I get dried fruit, like yeah. creamy milk chocolate, oh, yeah. but also like 
crazy berries, maybe yeah, some yeah. tropical fruit. Yeah. Some Definitely. candied fruit. Yeah, that's um what am I thinking of like a it's like a tartness that but also like a mango. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. She's got the nose. Yeah. I, I have like a stuffy it. nose. I'm gonna play my that. boyfriend <laughs> my boyfriend calls me olfactory girl. <laughs> so Perfect. I, I got a strong sniffer. <laughs> so, sounds like a superhero to yeah. me. Yeah. So um and the next stage, as I was saying, we're going to pour hot water on these. So I'm actually going to step aside just for a sec and grab a pitcher. Okay. So where we're at in the tasting, I'm going to try not to pour water all over you. Oh, you're mm-hmm. fine. This goes it's right about to, to smell so good oh. in here. I purposely did not have coffee this morning. Oh, wow. <laughs> Amazing. Me too, for sure. I don't normally drink caffeine. Uh-huh. Um, like, I, I frequently get caffeinated... If I have too much decaf, mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, I, I definitely did. Not I have require the caffeine. Yeah, Lara's a yeah, I'm caffeine girl. Yeah, I can definitely supply you with a little spit <laughs> cup if you like. If you want to prevent yourself from getting over caffeine. That's <laughs> I'll a normal. Be okay, it's yeah, a be. normal normal practice. Yeah, <laughs> I do it all the time, just in case. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So what Evan just did is he poured all the way up to the brim. And we have like these lovely bubbles and, you know, you can see the different colors. Definitely. And so with these cups being right in the middle, you know, it may not be entirely kind of safe and easy for us to check out the wet aroma. But essentially, Mm -hmm. if these were lined up on the side, Uh, we would kind of bend down and put our noses really close to the, the crust. And just kind of get a sense of, okay, those qualities that we noticed on the dry fragrance, have they evolved at all? Are we getting kind of any new, new qualities now that we've added water? Mm -hmm. And once again, I think like it's, it's such a simple format, but it really is ideally set up to compare and contrast, which I think is really fun. Um, In the very, very early days of the colonial coffee trade, this format would have been used, but it would have been a little bit less of a let's talk about tasting notes right. and let's lavish our attention. It was much more of a thumbs up, thumbs down. Right. So they would line up hundreds of these cups and wow. these colonial traders would just go down the line and sip, 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 sip. Mm-hmm. But it basically would be like, yes, I'm going to buy that coffee. Right. No, I'm not going to buy mm-hmm. that coffee. The discussion on the acidity and sweetness. Like, exactly. Yeah, it's just... Especially, especially <laughs> coffee has definitely added yeah. some sort of some layers and some nuance to the cupping process. Is um, there any the kind of days. like palate cleanser that's used in between? Yeah. So this isn't necessarily exactly what you meant, but the reason that I have these two pitchers of just clean hot water here is that to prevent cross contaminating samples, mm. We dip our cupping spoons in the hot water in between each cup. Okay. So it's not so much your palate cleanse, mm-hmm. but it is keeping sort of our spoons right. from moving a flavor in cup one oh, yeah. to cup two mm-hmm. so that we're maintaining as clear a representation of each sample as possible. And then you can absolutely sip water in between mm-hmm. if if that's sort of helpful to kind of reset your palate. It's definitely true that when I'm cupping this entire table full of samples, mm-hmm. I'll do a pass. So maybe I'll taste those 30 cups once, mm-hmm. take a break and yeah. drink a little water to kind of reset and yeah. then maybe take another pass as the yeah. coffees have cooled a little bit. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. So cool. 
All right. So fragrance and aroma. So that was fragrance and aroma. We're getting close to another stage, which is going to come up at four minutes. Okay. That's called the break. And essentially what I'm going to do is take my cupping spoon and push it through this crust of coffee that's at the top. So the crust is mostly coffee oils and also grounds, right? So that's essentially going to allow the vast majority of those grounds to sink to the bottom of the cup, kind of like a French press, right? It's going to continue extracting a little bit, but Mm -hmm. at that point, we've kind of moved through this early stage. We clean up the tops of the cups and then let the coffees cool a little more so we don't Mm -hmm. burn our mouths. Um, But at that point, it's just a question of letting the samples cool a little bit. And then we begin like tasting in earnest. So these other categories that we have on our sheet here, acidity, sweetness, body, flavor, and finish, we can talk about a little more while they cool. I'm going to go ahead and do the break here. Okay. So I'm just going to push through the grounds and do kind of three little swirls here. And then once again, rinsing my spoon, moving on to the next. That middle one has like rainbow bubbles. It looks like there's (laughs) soap in it. (laughs) Hopefully not. Yeah. Let's hope not. And number three. There is a total difference in color. Yeah. So most of those grounds now have sunk to the bottom. And what you're mainly seeing is coffee oils and foam. Gotcha. Mm. At this point, I'm just going to skim those cups for us. And the reason being, if we took a sample as it is now, there would be a lot of that sort of coffee oil in the sample, which would be fine, but it would taste quite bitter. Mm. So the oils themselves are fairly bitter and astringent. So we're basically just trying to make sure we have a neutral sample to taste once these have cooled. Gotcha. Okay. So I'm going to nestle these spoons and just use them like so. Wow. Oh, that's really satisfying to watch. That was very satisfying. <laughs> Sorry, you guys can't see this. <laughs> Passengers should offer cupping, cuppings like this. So yeah. we used to, actually. Okay. So Tyler Goodling, our retail director, used to host public cuppings at King Street. Okay. Um, obviously, with the pandemic, that's been on hold for a bit. Mm-hmm. But we absolutely plan to do those at some point in the future. And then in the meantime, I can actually tease a new cool thing that's yeah, on please. the horizon. So... We wanted to create more of these kind of opportunities for folks and for that to be possible remotely when we can't do public tastings as often. Right. And so we're actually soon going to be rolling out a new really cool cup tasters membership. Oh, that's super cool. So the idea for that is going to be similar to a coffee subscription. People are going to subscribe for a six month membership. And each month, they're going to get a box with two coffees that I've selected for comparative tasting. This is so cool. (laughs) And people, when they join, they'll also get a welcome box with a couple of these bowls and a spoon and some basic kind of equipment. This is so fascinating. So for any listener that wants to get into a little bit of cupping at home, definitely keep your eyes peeled for the Cup Tasters membership. We definitely want to get it up and available so people can can gift a membership to the, uh, the coffee enthusiast in your life, if you wish. That's such a great um, 
like opportunity because you know we all well not everyone but a lot of us have this ritual of enjoying coffee so like what an experience that would be to actually see the art of yeah like understanding it so much richer and deeper than you could I think it's going to be really fun and we're also going to make sure that we do sort of like an exclusive video that we'll record to accompany each installment. Mm, so it won't sure. be quite the same as the three of us sitting here and enjoying coffee together, but we do want to create a little bit of a membership community so that people have sort of some input from our team and some context for each box mm-hmm. so that hopefully people can have a fun adventure exploring different coffees what in that cool way. What a cool idea. Awesome. Also a great gift for the coffee lovers. <laughs> yeah, yes. that's right. That's awesome. Or just, you know, treat yourself. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> Come on. Awesome. So we've skimmed off the lovely, uh, what did, I forget the word that you used for it. Yeah. Um, so these are cupping bowls, a sample in each. We've skimmed the foam off the top. Now we're going to give these another seven minutes or so. Probably around 15 minutes is going to be the right time where they're cool enough that we can enjoy tasting them. So, And once we kind of start slurping the coffee and thinking mm-hmm. about these categories, we will be thinking a little bit about acidity, sweetness, body, flavor, and finish. So acidity, somewhat self-explanatory. I think that on our sheet, we've got some some letters that just imply low, low plus, medium, medium plus, and high. So that's just okay. an intensity scale. So mm-hmm. when we're tasting one versus two in a very sort of quick, rough and ready way, that's a way of saying, oh, if I think that one is sort of brighter than two, I might put one at that medium plus or high kind of zone and two might be in that medium to low zone. So Mm -hmm. it's just a quick way of marking what we perceive in terms of the intensity of acidity, like how bright and juicy and dynamic is the acidity in the cup as we experience it versus how integrated is the acidity? How kind of smooth is it compared to Mm -hmm. a really bright, juicy cup? Mm -hmm. And then also sometimes acidity is helpful when we taste to compare what we're experiencing in the coffee to other bright foods or beverages that we might be even more familiar with. So in thinking about acidity, it's often really helpful to think about different fruits. Mm. So not just is there acidity and how intense is the acidity, but what is the quality of acidity? So is it a very citric acidity that makes us think of lemons and limes? Mm -hmm. Is it a malic acidity that makes us think more of pears and apples? Mm. Is it, is it a phenolic, not phenolic, sorry, phosphoric? Phenolic (laughs) is not so great. Uh, That's actually a fault. Um, but a phosphoric sort of acid quality might make us think a little bit like cola. Okay. Right. So different types of sort of bright things that we've experienced in other foods and beverages help us to describe the quality of acidity in coffee. And Mm -hmm. acidity is tricky. I think that, um, for a lot of folks, acidity is usually thought of as a negative. Mm-hmm. So, right. so I want the coffee that's the least acidic, right? Mm-hmm. I want a coffee that's very rich, that doesn't have acidity. For us, um, acidity is one of the great things about coffee because it brings a sort of liveliness and a vibrancy to the coffee drinking experience. And also it helps us to perceive sweetness on our palates in a very more, in a more profound way. So bright coffees that also have sweetness, it's kind of ideal. It's the perfect, perfect scenario. So that's why sweetness is kind of next to a city here. And once again, we can talk about 
the intensity of sweetness? Do we feel like one of these cups is perceived on our palates as sweeter or less sweet? Is it a medium plus sweetness or a very low sweetness where there's more in the way of bittering flavors? Or um, we can also think a little more qualitatively, like what type of sweetness do we perceive? Is it more reminiscent of brown sugar? Is it more reminiscent of chocolate? Is it more reminiscent of fruit juice? Mm-hmm. You know, so there's lots of different qualities of sweetness as well mm-hmm. that depending on the coffee may right. be more front and center. Right. Yeah. With body, what we're talking a little bit about is how the coffee feels on our palate. So sort of the weight of the coffee on our palate. And I think a very sort of textbook barista education kind of example to illustrate this would be to think in terms of dairy products. So mm-hmm. heavy cream, heavier body. Right. Mm-hmm. 2% milk, a little more medium in the middle. Mm-hmm. Skim milk, light bodied, right? Mm-hmm. Thinner, lighter. You could take it even a step further and think about tea, right? Mm -hmm. Some types of tea, like maybe a jasmine tea or something, very light-bodied. In fact, tea-like is definitely a descriptor that's applied to certain coffees because the mouthfeel is so light and bright and Mm -hmm. and sort of effervescent in that way that people might think about tea as a descriptor that helps to capture that. Um, So, yeah, body is just kind of... uh, largely talking in a more tactile way about how different coffees sort of feel on the palate. Flavor, somewhat self-explanatory. So I think we can definitely talk on one hand just about what specific flavors are we perceiving. Obviously, when we were talking about the dry fragrance together, you guys Mm -hmm. were pulling some really great flavor calls about what the dry fragrance was reminding you of. Um, In tasting the coffee, that's definitely something that applies in the same way. And I think starting at 15 minutes, but then maybe tasting the coffee a couple times as it cools towards room temperature, Mm -hmm. I think that we'll experience quite an evolution of flavor. So I think I simultaneously celebrate folks that want to enjoy their coffee really hot because Mm -hmm. I think on a cold, crisp day, there's kind of nothing better than a piping hot cup of coffee. (laughs) With that said, I also encourage folks, if they're not already doing so, that when they're brewing our coffees, that they, even if they love their coffee really hot, Mm -hmm. to consider saving a tiny taste to taste kind of cooled. Right. Because I think especially, uh, you know, passengers' coffees, when they sort of are approaching that cooler temperature, I think folks are sometimes very surprised at how much the flavors change and evolve. And that's mm-hmm. kind of a really fun thing about tasting as well. And then I think also, you know, uh, other things that we can think about with flavor is just um, complexity and clarity. So complexity would be how many flavors are going on that are relatively easy to perceive. Mm -hmm. I think for me, I think about really, really complex coffees as coffees that every time I go back for another taste, I get another clear flavor call, Mm -hmm. you know, coffees that are so complex. There's so much going on that you taste it and you're like raspberry, you taste it again, lemon, taste (laughs) it again, you know, brown sugar, you taste it again, lychee, you know, Uh it's just, and 
coffees like that, I mean, it's really not that difficult to pull those flavors out because there's just so many of right. them, right? Mm-hmm. But then talking about flavor clarity, I think what I often think about in that context is for the flavors that a coffee presents, how in focus are they, right? Mm. So there are some coffees where I think you taste them and you think, I think this is a fairly complex coffee. There are a lot of kind of different notes there, but I'm really having a hard time pulling any of them out. Mm. That might be a coffee that's fairly complex, but is slightly lacking in clarity. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, there are some coffees that have amazing clarity, but maybe not quite as much complexity. Mm-hmm. So you might have a coffee where it's like, that coffee tastes like the most delicious, clean, elegant milk chocolate. Mm-hmm. And there's not a whole lot else going on, but it's beautiful, right? right? Yeah. So it's not a highly complex coffee, mm-hmm. but it's a coffee with chocolatey notes that mm-hmm. are offering incredible clarity. And I love both of those types of coffees, right? Yeah. Um, it is true that generally speaking, coffee professionals tend to, to score coffees that have both in spades a little mm-hmm. higher, okay. partly because those coffees are rare and they're kind of hard to find sometimes, okay. right? But I also have so much room in my heart for mm-hmm. a coffee that may not be overwhelmingly complex, but has elegant sort of structure, balance, and flavor clarity. Mm-hmm. Finally, when we talk about finish, somewhat self-explanatory, sometimes also described as aftertaste. It's essentially like, what are the sensory qualities that are left on our palate after we swallow the coffee or spit the coffee if we're not going to mm-hmm. um, be ingesting all that caffeine? But essentially, what are the sensory qualities that are sort of left on our palate at the end? Mm-hmm. And how could we describe them? We could describe, um, on one hand, potentially the length of the finish. So does the coffee have a really sort of pleasantly lingering aftertaste? So after you've swallowed that coffee, you still have this like lovely lingering floral sensation on your palate or chocolatey sensation on your palate. Or on the other hand, does it have a bit of a short finish Mm -hmm. where it's pleasant, but it's not lingering. It's not kind of a long finish, right? Um, And then additionally, sometimes, you know, specific flavors will come into play, especially on the finish. So sometimes we talk Mm. about that as well, where Mm -hmm. on the front end of your palate, when you're tasting, you might have some, uh, a coffee that's offering lots of like bright citrusy acidity up front, maybe some brown sugar sweetness. It's got a sort of medium body that sort of reminds you of sort of creamy milk chocolate on your palate. It has additional maybe flavors of orange peel, um, maybe some caramel as well. And then on the finish, you get this return of that citric acidity that you noticed Mm. at the beginning. Like, I'm obviously Mm -hmm. just making things up by saying that, but essentially like that's an example of how we would go potentially from these individual categories Mm -hmm. to a slightly more expansive sensory story about a coffee and about the ways that those different parts of its qualities sort of are perceived by our palates on the cupping table. Wow. So when you guys have your coffees like on the website and it lists some of these notes Mm -hmm. like these are actual things that you guys might have written down during a cupping when you decided to carry that specific coffee yeah absolutely so i mean 
when we're going through the process that uh, in the industry, they would talk about profile development, which mm -hmm. basically just means essentially developing the recipe that we're going to use with the roaster mm -hmm. to, to sort of try to provide the most honest and delicious representation of the hard work of the coffee farmer and everyone else that's been involved in that coffee. Mm -hmm. When we sort of settle on that sort of roast profile that we're going to use when we release the coffee, we spend a lot of time tasting that newly developed roast profile as a team and talking about what we're tasting. Mm -hmm. And that absolutely, those notes inform the descriptions that I write when that coffee is eventually marketed right. on our website. Mm -hmm. And I would also say, like, as a sidebar with tasting <laughs> notes, us throwing a description up there on the website that in no way is saying that that is the only valid experience with that coffee. Mm. Um, I'm always the first to say that whatever you as a coffee lover taste, when you are brewing that coffee, when you're cupping that coffee, however you're experiencing that coffee, that is an equally valid experience always, right? Mm -hmm. I think folks often assume that because they're potentially not professionals in the coffee industry that they have in some way a lesser sort of experience or uh, less sort of valid skill when sort of enjoying that coffee. And at the end of the day, we all have really remarkably amazing palates. Yeah. The only difference really in my mind between someone who's tasting a coffee for the first time versus someone who's tasting coffee in a professional context every day is that as professionals, we spend a little more time developing the lexicon right. to describe what we're experiencing. Mm -hmm. But everybody's experiencing those things. Right. If anything, the hard thing is not so much learning to taste, but learning to accurately describe what you're tasting right. and connect what you're tasting to your sensory memory right. of so many other things that you've having, tasted. Having yeah. that vocabulary to yeah. actually mm -hmm. describe what you're actually Absolutely. sensing. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. I think that we're probably at a point where we could start uh, trying a few tentative slurps here. So I've okay. got uh, a little cup of spoons for you there. Okay. You can just right, grab Sarah, a spoon. You, you start. We're going to start oh. with number one. Okay. So how should I do this? Yeah. Just so the first thing you want to do is just dip your spoon in the water here. Okay. Yep. And then you're just going to take your spoon. It's fine there. Okay. It's good. You're just going to, on the surface there, just... Mm -hmm. Grab about that much. Okay. Just bring it over. I'll try not to slurp too dramatically <laughs> on the microphone, but just give it a little bit of a sip. Beautiful. Okay. Nicely done. And when you sometimes see cupping videos, you know, where professionals are doing more of this. Yeah. <laughs> The reason for that, and that's not the like right or wrong way to do things, but if you think about our palates, right, we have taste buds all over our mouth. So the roof mm -hmm. of our mouth, all different parts of our tongue. And so when people slurp 
the coffee a little more violently in that way, essentially what they're doing is spraying that sample of coffee over the largest amount of taste buds as possible with the goal of trying to get as sort of broad and accurate and a sensory impression Mm. of the sample as possible. Similar to sommeliers, like, swishing, right? Absolutely, yeah. So, like, a sommelier, yeah, exactly doing all those things. It's kind of that version. Now, that isn't Mm -hmm. to say that, like, I know many really, really incredible coffee tasters that mm-hmm. don't cup that way at yeah. all. But just for folks that maybe are visiting a cupping for the first time <laughs> and they're just like amazed by the fact that people are tasting coffee this way. <laughs> that's why yeah, um, people are, are essentially just kind of like trying to taste the coffee sort of um, as broadly as possible to get to make sure they're catching all those sensory qualities. So going back to cup number one, I'm just curious to know, what do you guys taste? Well, definitely tastes different than it smelled. Oh, for sure. How so? Well, I feel like coffee always smells sweeter Mm -hmm. than it tastes, Mm -hmm. which is why like coffee shops smell so good, you know, Um, like people who say that I like the way way it smells, but I don't like the way it tastes. Um, I'm going to do another one. Hold on. I would say, well, it definitely seems lighter than I expected Mm -hmm. because I got such like a chocolate hazelnut kind of Nutella smell. So I was expecting this more, rich creamy Mm -hmm. flavor Mm -hmm. but this feels like brighter and lighter than i thought Mm -hmm. it would yeah Mm -hmm. i would say it's um the body is a lot lighter than i thought it was going to be yeah Mm -hmm. like it doesn't it's not like really syrupy right like in Mm -hmm. that way that thick chocolate yeah no i think the mouthfeel is like for us, at least, it would be like kind of squarely in that kind of yeah, medium, medium territory medium. for sure. Yeah. I yeah. think that I totally agree with your notes and I experience it definitely different than it was on the nose as well. Mm-hmm. For me, that bittersweet chocolate is still there. I definitely For sure. Yeah. And it's one of the like prominent flavors, mm. at least in my experience of this coffee. There's maybe a little bit of a toasted nut quality as well, like kind of yeah. a toasted walnut, kind of dark chocolate kind of vibe. Mm. Um, but the body, I agree. I think it's relatively clean on the finish and yeah. it's relatively medium bodied in the cup for sure. Yeah. Sweetness, I would... I. I would say it's medium as well. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it's mm-hmm. super, super sweet. I guess right. it does kind of remind me of like a very rich, dark chocolate brownie with like walnuts or something. Yeah, right. yeah, 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 that's yeah. such a great note. Yeah. yeah, and I think what you were saying as well about sweetness, and honestly, I mean, similar to what we were saying about acidity, another word that I, in a certain way, in certain moments try to destigmatize when it comes to coffee is the word bitter. Mm, right. So there are a lot of like foods and beverages that at least many of us enjoy that are prominently bitter. Right. right? Mm-hmm. So like Amaro's would be a really, really great it's example. Language. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, so something that either alone as a digestif or mm-hmm. potentially as a component with sweeter components right. in a cocktail, yeah. that bitterness adds a really incredible quality that plays well with sweetness, plays well with acidity, mm-hmm. plays well with richness. Right. And, you know, 
at the risk of chasing anyone away who thinks <laughs> that that's not the experience they're looking for, I embrace the fact that coffee at the end of the day is a fundamentally bitter beverage. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I say that in the best sense, <laughs> right? right? Yeah. In addition to all of the sweetness and fruity acidity and complexity of flavor that we can find in really fine coffees, it is often the case that those qualities exist in balance with a sort of bittering base right. that mm -hmm. is similar to that dark chocolate brownie that you're mm -hmm. talking about, right? Yeah. Um, and so I think that's something where, if anything, when we talk about really, really sweet coffees, mm -hmm. essentially what we're talking about is <laughs> less bitter coffees, right? Right. Uh, right. Yeah. In a good way, right? right? Where you have this sort of this uh, contrast of sweetness and bitterness that you can go on a sliding scale, right? right? Mm -hmm. And I think it's also true that for folks that like to add things to their coffee, I think sometimes this is an ideal coffee because it has enough of that structure to stand up to the cream, to stand up to the sugar, if that's how folks enjoy mm. it. I, yeah, I could see this with like your your coffee for your cappuccino mm. yes you know what i mean hundred percent that heavy cream mm -hmm. no yeah. this is just like Foam. it's a perfect yeah. coffee as a base for an espresso drink right it's a perfect cappuccino coffee as mm. well as like a pleasant balanced rich cup on its own so yeah. this is our stowaway blend um this okay. is the base of passengers foundational menu yeah. mm. it's a blend of two coffees two different foundational partners that we've been working with for a number of years so the base of the blend is a coffee from el salvador called monte carlos uh, that accounts for a lot of those sort of chocolatey, toasted nut rich qualities in the cup. Mm -hmm. And then it has a small amount of additional coffee from Ethiopia, um, a washed coffee called Agaro, which I think in this cup, certainly on the cupping table today, these qualities are very nuanced. They're mm -hmm. not out in front. But there's just maybe a little hint of, of cherry, maybe a tiny little hint of something floral on the finish. Mm -hmm. And those little nuances are attributable to that little bit of Ethiopian coffee that's adding complexity um, in Stowaway. It's absolutely a like chocolate forward coffee. Yeah. And part of that is 100% to serve as a like a very sort of consistent pleasing utilitarian coffee on on folks menus where it can either be great out of the fetco as just a rich cup of coffee or it can go into the espresso machine and make mm -hmm. an incredible cappuccino or right. latte mm -hmm. or straight espresso that last sip i had just like legit transported me into the passenger cafe <laughs> like, it, your cappuccino. Like, that like sensory memory of like yeah. what it smells like when you first step inside and just being there like it was just like whoop, i was there yeah i love it yeah <laughs> so i'm not surprised this is your like, like your foundational your yeah absolutely yeah let's number talk two. yeah let's move to number two okay. see, see what's happening all right i'm excited because i know this is going to be very different yeah very different that is that could not be more different. Okay, I have to figure out what it is, though. Hold on. I love it. That's more savory. What does it remind you yeah, of? Yeah, hold on. Like, it reminded me of soup. <laughs> <laughs> 
like like what a what's what like a soup? like a broth like a chicken broth yeah it's very not in a bad way it doesn't taste like chicken i but just savory compared to the other one at least yeah hold on hold on hold on hold on hold on i feel like i just i need to build that lexicon hold on so i don't know if this connects with your experience at all but i think that i still taste peach i do too i peach is like and like um like a ripe, uh, yeah, like, this is so silly, like a Sicilian peach, like gelato melted and with oh. a broth that's a little bit more savory. <laughs> yes, please. Yeah. yeah, yeah, like that's that's a weird combination because I do get a little bit of that yeah. savoriness. Well, it also, this one feels more like tea, maybe from the yeah, fruitiness. Like, um, I was like, going to uh, ask if maybe part of the, like, the broth connection was also mouthfeel because yeah. this is so much lighter bodied mm. compared to this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah, it definitely reminds me of tea as well in a What's big way. What's the red tea called? Um, rooibos. Yes, yes. That's what it reminds me of. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think with rooibos, you, you have a certain kind of red fruit quality to rooibos that's usually mm-hmm. in play that I think connects with some of the stone fruity qualities yeah, that I get fruit. with tea. Yeah. So like, some bright cherry, some peach, maybe a hint of apricot. Yeah. But definitely that black tea quality too. And I yeah. get like a a kind of floral bergamotty thing as well that mm. also connects with the tea. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. I'd, peach, man. Peach for peach. the win. <laughs> now I'm going to go back and taste number one. Yeah. After that. Just a little bit. I think going from this very like foundational chocolatey, yeah, it's um, so different. So it's, different, right? Mm-hmm. They're fun to play off of each other. And doesn't yeah. this seem even richer oh, when yeah. you come mm-hmm. back to it after this? Yeah. Yes. The the like darkness of that first one. Yeah. And the second one's much lighter. With that fruity quality. Oh, yeah. So coffee two is also from the foundational menu, but this is the Ethiopian component of this. So this is agaro presented on its own. Okay. So this is a washed Ethiopian coffee from the Western part of Ethiopia. Agaro is the name of a town and many of the farms and washing stations that this coffee is sort of, uh, sourced from are located near agaro. So such a different experience. Absolutely. And there are many reasons Mm -hmm. for that. Um, but certainly you know, a couple of the most important reasons are the plant genetics. So the varieties of coffee that go into agaro are Ethiopian landrace varieties, meaning these are varieties that are much closer to the original, original, original coffee that still grows wild in the forests of Ethiopia that you know, as the birthplace of coffee, these are some of the first coffees that have, that at a very early stage were transported to Yemen, to various countries, uh, along colonial trade routes long before they actually made it to Latin America to become Mm -hmm. the varieties that we now sort of work with our partners in El Salvador to bring. In, in some ways, these are the parent varieties of the varieties that we now sort of also bring from El Salvador. So it's not only a major difference in plant genetics that accounts for all of these interesting stone, fruity, floral, citrusy, tea-like qualities here, 
but it's also a very, very different place. So mm-hmm. the micro, the microclimate, yeah. the soil, the weather that the these terroir. coffees, the terroir, <laughs> exactly. Better <laughs> for you to say it than me. <laughs> uh, all of those dramatically different. This is, comes from a volcano in El Salvador. This mm. comes from the highlands of southwestern Ethiopia. Right. They are dramatically different places. Yeah, right. So I just love, like, I mean, there are other reasons, of course, for the differences in the cup. But all of these coffees are fully washed. They're processed in relatively similar ways, right? But they taste so, so different. Mm -hmm. And the primary reason for that is plant genetics and terroir or Mm -hmm. microclimate, the place and the time that they represent. Um, And Passenger, as a roasting company, tends to uh, sort of prioritize coffees that are processed in this way, um, and coffees that have certain qualities that lend themselves to relatively light roasting because as a company, the things, some of the things that excite us the most are these types of comparative moments right. where we experience very, very different coffees as a reflection of their sort of plant genetics and the sort of place and time of their production. Mm-hmm. But with that said, we sometimes also bring in coffees that provide other types of contrasts. And cup number three is a great example. So let's okay. see what see what three is tasting like. I have a feeling this is going to be very complex. <laughs> I think you're right. I think, I think <laughs> I'm in for the doozy. Yeah, I got like a bazillion things. <laughs> it's almost overwhelming, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Many, so many fruity flavors. The, it's like, so fruity. The like cherry strawberry kind of flavor is very strong blackberry definitely Mm. it's definitely definitely cherry yeah like chocolate covered cherry that's what i'm getting yeah it's that like sweet mixed with tart with fruit yeah it is like more complex it's like kind of like all of all of them you know dare i I say it might have a buttery element absolutely i think it's very very creamy yeah yeah yeah. and that kind of connects with Hmm. Some like caramely tones, yeah. maybe toffee, but also that creamy chocolate that you were talking about. And I think those fruit notes are really accurate as well. For mm. me, this is also quite a fruity coffee, but in such a different way. Yeah, these are not the same. So this is so yeah. clean and sort mm-hmm. of tea-like and elegant. And this is like a candy fruit party Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, in a very yeah. different way. Like those cherry and strawberry yeah. notes are almost more like strawberry candy to me. Right. Yeah. Um, or and like fruit cake. Fruit cake for sure. Like the finish for me that lingers, like it to me tastes like I just ate a chocolate covered cherry. I love it. <laughs> Sounds delightful. Wow. Yeah. Now I want to taste these two side by side. Do it. Yeah. Go back to number two. Whoops. Number three is definitely strong. Like, it's in your face. Yeah, like, so different. I think it also has... So I think this has a very delicate tea-like sort of body. soft. And here you have lots of fruit, but heavier body as Mm. well. So... Yeah. This is like light academia (laughs) and this is the professor who's been aged and weathered and worn and Uh the dark academia yeah (laughs) they're 
they couldn't be more different, even though they both definitely have so much fruit mm-hmm. forwardness yeah. going on. So part of the reason for those sort of deeply fruity qualities in cup three is down to the fact that, as I was saying before, one and two, they're processed in a very similar way. And kind of backing up the train and asking the question, what does processing mean? Um, processing is basically the term that describes all of the steps that are necessary to take freshly picked coffee fruit from that fruit stage to processed exportable green coffee that's ready to go to a roaster and be roasted. So once again, reviewing Mm. sort of coffee 101, the coffee beans that we're all familiar with, those are actually the seeds of a sort of cranberry-sized cherry Mm -hmm. that grows on the coffee tree, right? Mm. So in order to, to get those seeds to the place where they're in the form of green coffee that can be roasted and become the coffee beans that we're accustomed to, mm-hmm. it has to generally be removed from the fruit. And processing is a lot of different steps that sort of help the fruit turn into that exportable green coffee in various ways. Um, two, probably the two types of processes that are most common are wet processing and dry processing. Sometimes wet processing is also described as washed coffee, mm. and sometimes dry processing is described as a natural coffee or a sun-dried coffee. Mm. What that basically means is for the wet process, and cups one and two, all of these coffees were wet processed, when that freshly picked coffee fruit uh, arrives at the washing station, it goes through a depulper, which removes all the fruit from the seeds immediately. And then the seeds go through some steps to remove all of the sugars that remain. And then the coffee is eventually dried and exported. In the dry process or the natural process, and cup three is an example of that, the fruit is left on the seeds for all of the drying. So instead of the fruit Mm. being removed immediately, basically those coffee cherries are spread out on beds in the sun and allowed to kind of dry and become sort of like raisins. So the seeds go through the drying process with the fruit left in contact with them. And then at the very end when drying is complete, Mm. they're hulled. The dried fruit is removed, and then you have these seeds that have been processed in a different way. So when you're tasting like very different layers of fruit in cup three, that is at least partly attributable to the fact that the coffee seeds that became this roasted coffee were dried with prolonged fruit contact prior to that whole That makes so So much sense. Like, Like, I'm almost picturing it like it got like fermented with the fruit around it almost where it's like that you would think that the fruit would kind of penetrate the seed. And that kind of explains why why it tastes like that. So what you're tasting is sort of some qualities that are even more directly attributable to Mm -hmm. the coffee cherry. Right. Like the actual fruit of coffee. Right. Right. But this sort of, 
maybe cleaner, more tea-like, crisper sort of version, mm -hmm. that's because that fruit was removed. Mm -hmm. And so then you have those sort of subtle, nuanced yeah. qualities. It's less of a fruit bomb than three. Wow. <laughs> fruit bomb. But this yeah. coffee, you know, this coffee also comes from Ethiopia. So these are very similar coffees right. from a very similar part of the world, but processed in very different ways. And can you tell us the name of this third one? Yeah, absolutely. So this coffee is called Ganale Dulecha, which is the name of the actual farmer that produced this coffee. So in Ethiopia, it's... It's usually the case that many, many of the coffees that are available for purchase are not single farmer lots. And the reason is so many of the farmers in Ethiopia, their farms are so small. So they don't produce enough coffee to actually make sense to be exportable as a single farmer lot. Gotcha. So often what you'll see is coffees that are sort of marketed under the name of a cooperative mm -hmm. or maybe a region. And so you have lots that are composed of coffee deliveries from hundreds, if not thousands of farmers oh, okay. that are from the same community. Gotcha. Yeah. With that said, you do have some single producers who have slightly larger farms where there is enough to separate as a single farmer lot. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we have here. Wow. So actually I can show you the back. Stowaway, Agaro, and Ganale de Leche. So nice. Fascinating. Okay, so let's let's read what these bags yeah. say. So Stowaway says orchid Browning sugars and cocoa. Orchid is really interesting. Yeah. But that is kind of like that floral note yeah. on the end, like once it's brewed. Yeah. And then the second one, we have bergamot, peach, and Meyer lemon. That peach. Yeah. Um, and then uh, ganale dulacha is mixed berries, milk chocolate, and peach candy. Definitely that dried candy flavor is all over the place. I just have to say passengers... Um, branding. Yeah. Beautiful. Their attention to detail is stunning. Immaculate. Yeah. This, I'm going to leave this interview with like six bags of coffee. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to happen. Awesome. Cool. Okay. We were just, um, complimenting the branding. Yeah. We love the branding. <laughs> also, um, just in general, like the aesthetic of passenger really appeals to both of us. Um, I mean, even the space we're in right now, it's just, it's beautiful. Yeah. And like passenger, the, ca the main cafe in downtown Lancaster is just simplification. It's just so beautiful. It's like extremely high ceiling, white subway tile, like very intentional just, art. It's like, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's so kind of you guys yeah. to say that. I really appreciate that. And, and I agree. I mean, as someone who was not a member of passengers team from the beginning, I also was drawn to Passenger and sort of the brand and the sort of philosophy that that guides a lot of our work on the team because I feel like from a very early stage, I really noticed that intentionality, yeah. um, which I do think translates to just a lot of the folks that I am privileged to work with yeah. on our team. And so, yeah, I appreciate yeah. you saying that. We're we feel really, really grateful to be able to work in these spaces and be a part of this community. And I think if anything, it, it's a reflection of, of sort of our desire to kind of honor 
the many stages of intentionality and hard work yeah. that these coffees and teas reflect long before they reach mm-hmm. us. And so if anything, yeah, 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 reflection of our desire to try to honor those coffees and those producers. Well, yeah. this experience has made me n- nothing more but a big passenger stand. Oh, because, yeah. Because, <laughs> like, obviously now we're, we're, up, we're coming from the other end. It's We've experienced the front end of the store. Mm-hmm. Now we're experiencing yeah. all the intention and care that's taken into each you know, bag of, you know, a roasted coffee you could buy. It's right. just, it's been, it's been great. And, Amazing. you know, we want to get more into like knowing passenger. Right. So obviously, you know, passenger from the outside, it's a beautiful place, wonderful coffee. But another thing that we both love about passenger is, you know, it's a company that has very strong values. And so, you know, perusing your website before this interview, I see that you guys are B Corp certified. Can you please speak to, first of all, what does that mean? And how does that play into the overall vision for, you know, Passenger as a company and what you guys are trying to do with it? Yeah, absolutely. So for anyone for whom B Corp is a new, a new thing, um, B Corp, uh, to be a B Corp, it means that a company has gone through a very rigorous certification sort of audit, essentially, um, run by B Lab, I think is the name of sort of the company behind, or companies maybe the wrong word, the organization kind of behind the certification process. And essentially, <clears throat> it's, it's a certification that assesses and audits all aspects of your business. So not just your supply chains and your products and your purchasing sort of philosophy, um, but also the impact of your business on the people that work for you, the people that are involved in your supply chains, and also your local community. There's also a big assessment of environmental impact as well. So it's a multifaceted sort of assessment of where your company is at based on sort of a shared assumption of a goal of your company and other companies in the sort of B Corp family, having a shared motivation to be a force for good. Mm -hmm. Um, So not only being effective businesses, um, but not only answering to shareholders or investors, but also wanting to be accountable and mindful and, um, intentional regarding the impact of those business operations environmentally, socially, in your local community, etc. So I had not joined the team when we went through our initial audit, but my what I've heard from my colleagues regarding that process is there are many aspects of the certification process, but essentially you have to answer hundreds of questions regarding all aspects of your business. There are multiple layers of the assessment, but essentially they use assessment of your company in multiple categories to generate a numerical score. Uh There's essentially a minimum score that's required to become certified. Mm -hmm. And then generally speaking, um, certified companies then it's not like you're done at that point. I think at that point, your goal is by the time that we're due for recertification, what can we take from this report in terms of, yes, the things that we're doing well, but also the opportunities that remain to become more aligned and mm-hmm. sort of closer to our values. Right. Um, yeah. 
you work on that until the next recertification mm-hmm. with the goal of not only sort of maintaining that certification, but hopefully improving yeah. your score yeah. and hopefully kind of using that. So there's yeah. many like really positive things about it. Um, and for, for people that are new to B Corp, I mean, there are definitely some, some progressive companies out there that a lot of folks will know that we're very early B Corp certified companies. So a good example would be Patagonia. Okay. Um, right. They're a very early B Corp. Ben and Jerry's was another mm. early B Corp. I believe Tom's Shoes is also a B yeah. Corp. So some just very uh, progressively minded, um, intentionally run companies that we have looked up to in a variety of ways for inspiration. And there's also an, you know, a growing group of specialty coffee companies, not just roasting companies, but also some importers Mm -hmm. that have become B Corp certified. So in some ways, I think a dream for me would be to see an increasing amount of the different actors in our coffee supply chain. So not just passenger, but the importers that we work with, the Mm. farms that we work with, maybe eventually a larger and larger percentage of that entire supply chain be Mm. B Corp certified. Um, But it is true as well that um, by being a part of that community, you not only sort of get great ideas and inspiration from fellow B Corps, but there's Mm -hmm. a lot of collaborative opportunities. So gradually you become aware of these companies where, you know, for example, a lot of passengers like travel cups and thermoses, we work with Mir out Mm -hmm. in uh, Seattle to produce those. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we partly started working with them, not only because they make great stuff, but they're also a fellow B Corp. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just feels, it feels good to be sort of in that sort of shared enterprise of trying to make business more transparent, more accountable, Mm -hmm. and sort of more responsible for sort of the impact that we're all having. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, we also saw on your website that you're 50% women owned, Mm -hmm. which we love. And you also fall into the lowest category when it comes to compensation ratio from the highest to the lowest paid, um, people in the company. So that is incredible. Is that still true today? Is that still? Yes, I believe so. I mean, so we're 50% woman owned. We have two owners and Mm -hmm. one of them is a woman. Um, (laughs) um, but that is really true. And, um, that's Kyle Sollenberger and Crystal Weaver. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, both, Mm -hmm. I think they have like a really amazing partnership as owners, um, and as entrepreneurs that have opened not just passenger, but a number of businesses here in, in Lancaster. Um, I definitely feel, yeah, really fortunate to be able to not only work for them, but to kind of learn from, from their vision, Mm -hmm. um, in their capacity as owners. Um, and I know that, Regarding sort of the compensation ratios that you're discussing and also um, for us, not only as passenger, but passenger being a company within the umbrella umbrella of commons company mm-hmm. um, for commons broadly, I think there's just a number of really important initiatives that are ongoing mm-hmm. regarding improving our sort of uh, diversity within commons, within passenger. I mean, Specialty coffee at large, let's be honest, has had like from day one a significant diversity problem. Yeah. There's just mm-hmm. yeah. a lot of humans that look just like me who are mm-hmm. in so many positions within specialty coffee. Um, and they're like many industries, uh, you see more diversity 
on the barista front line Mm -hmm. and a lot less in positions of leadership and Mm -hmm. in positions that hopefully are actually long-term sustainable jobs for folks. Uh So we could not be more motivated to do our part to see progress on that front and to see diversity in many forms more broadly reflected by our team. Um, so yeah, it's, there's no way around the fact that it's difficult. Um, it's difficult to sort of, uh, to make sure that we're putting all of the sort of components in place to hopefully create a workplace Mm -hmm. that uh, wider and more diverse sort of populations feel that those positions and our companies are for them (laughs) Um, and and represent genuine, rewarding and safe opportunities for them. Um, Mm -hmm. But I do, I am very inspired and sort of compelled by, I think, the genuine and authentic commitment that our owners have to pursue that change in a real and authentic way. And I've definitely witnessed positive progress on that front in the almost three years that I've been here. It's also just really great to know that when you go to a store that is, you know, that your mission and your values are so aligned with your own, you know, hopes and desires for all industries. Mm -hmm. It feels good to, support those businesses. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah, especially, you know, if you're buying your, you know, weekly bag of coffee or yeah, whatever, you know, you're, you know, you might spend more on a passenger bag than, you know, a bag of Duncan that you get at the right. grocery store, but you also know that you're supporting so these many, values and so many people under the umbrella name of passenger. Right. Yeah. And also, um, your sister brand necessary coffee seems to play into this value that passenger has of, you know, what's your impact on the overall coffee supply chain, For not sure. just about, you know, your bottom line, for example. So can you please tell us more about what necessary coffee is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as you very accurately put it, necessary coffee is sort of the sister brand of passenger. It's also a roasting brand and essentially necessary coffee came out of, or it came to be as a result and in response to many conversations that we were having with coffee producers that Passenger had been buying for a number of years. We had been working with them, and the same type of conversation kept coming up when we would visit them on their farms. Mm -hmm. And the, the question essentially was, we really appreciate working with you, but what will it take for you to buy more of our coffee and right. a larger percentage of our total harvest. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple things going on with that question. Um, so backing up, zooming out a little bit and, and thinking about what specialty coffee actually is. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of ways of thinking about that and defining that. But one way of defining what specialty coffee is relative to commodity coffee comes back to that sort of uh, cupping evaluation and point score. So one definition of specialty coffee is specialty coffee is essentially all coffees that score 80 points and above on the 100-point SEAA mm. cupping scale, right? Mm-hmm. And putting all of the various subjectivities and problematic things that we might think about any type of a point score to the side... 
I can say that while that is true, that the vast, vast majority of micro roasters that you would know the names of that are sort of prominent in our community in the United States, with Passenger being a classic example, Mm -hmm. generally speaking, if they brand themselves as a specialty coffee roaster, that's true, but they're usually not searching for 80-point coffees or even 85-point coffees. Within that relatively broad zone of 80 points to 100 points, most small specialty coffee roasters are not just trying to get the best 80 and above. They're mm-hmm. trying to get the best of the best of right. the best, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So specialty often is shorthand for top specialty or, mm-hmm. you know, the highest niche that we can kind of find, right? And so essentially what you have is a lot of coffee buyers traveling around the world and trying to find the highest scoring coffees that they can buy Mm -hmm. and build menus from that, right? And there's a lot of good reasons for that. But the problem is even to get coffee to that sort of specialty boundary of sort of 80 points and above takes an unbelievable amount of work. And it's generally the case that the highest, highest, most unique kind of wild decadent coffees like this, you know, mm-hmm. Ganale de Lecha or the Cigaro here, um, those often, depending on the coffee farm, make up the minimum percentage mm-hmm. of what a farmer produces. So a farmer might produce a couple bags of a coffee that tastes like this, but they're also producing maybe 80% of their harvest is maybe not as unique as those boutique micro lots, Mm -hmm. but it's really good coffee, right? So Passenger was having these conversations with farmers because in many cases, we were working with farmers to be the best partners that we could and to be a repeat buyer and to try to be an honest buyer and to pay some of the best, some of the highest prices available in Mm -hmm. the industry. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, in many cases, we were buying the best of the best, mm-hmm. right? We were saying, more or less, name your price. We will pay for quality right. and we'll pay very com- very competitively, right? Yeah. But in terms of the percentage of their total harvest, it was often relatively small, right? Mm-hmm. And part of that was based on the fact that Passenger's brand was built on lightly roasted, exquisite, super unique coffees, Right. We wanted to occupy that niche for people that wanted to pay more for coffee to not only support, hopefully, a more sustainable and viable supply chain, Mm -hmm. but also wanted to have extraordinary coffee experiences, right? Yeah. But for us, we also felt that we felt that we were not sort of pursuing our values of wanting to be a part of at least progress towards a genuinely viable supply chain. It felt that if all we were doing was buying the best Mm -hmm. and a farmer gets a great price for a minimum of their harvest, but Mm -hmm. then they potentially don't even break even on the rest. That doesn't feel ethical. It doesn't feel Mm -hmm. sustainable. And if you just think about that farmer as running a business, that's not going to be a viable business for very long. Right. right? Mm -hmm. So, we're finally to necessary necessary was created as a different brand for those coffees that didn't have an immediate home on the passenger menu. Okay. So I want to, I want to be, I definitely want to emphasize 
it's not the home for the bad coffees. Mm -hmm. It's the home for the great coffees that were not, you know, immediately a fit for the sort of reserve lot menu on passenger that's focusing on hyper unique flavor profiles, Mm -hmm. right? It's coffee's a little more like our experience with Stowaway, where you have this deep sweetness, chocolatiness. If anything, it's often the types of coffees that lots of folks that maybe passenger wasn't the immediate fit for in terms of what coffees they love. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. That's what necessary is for. It's for accessible, sweet, easy drinking coffee flavors that yeah. are really consistent and mm-hmm. are bought from the same producers that Passenger was already working with. Mm-hmm. So our goal. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. Thank yeah, you so much. I mean, idea. our yeah. goal was to say, number one, we want to come as close as possible to being able to return to a producer partner and saying, yeah. we want to buy all of your coffee across all quality grades. Mm -hmm. So not just your most unique micro lot, but that and all Mm -hmm. of this other great specialty coffee that we also now have a home for on the, on the sort of website of necessary and through wholesale partnerships for, for Mm -hmm. whom necessary is a best fit for their businesses. So, so essentially two companies supporting the same community of producers, but with the goal of uh, pursuing very focused sort of sourcing and quality goals on both sides, Mm -hmm. but homes for different types of coffees. And then additionally, uh, partly to sort of bring in that wider audience, we also developed the coffees in the roastery for the necessary lineup a little more. So broadly Mm -hmm. speaking, necessary coffees are roasted to more of a rich medium kind of zone. And many of passengers coffees are roasted a little lighter and brighter. Okay. So, so you have like a little bit of a contrast in terms of the roasting style as well. Mm -hmm. Um, but generally speaking, consistent quality from long-term producer partners that we're hoping to sort of expand our business with over time. Yeah, that's great. Well, our last coffee related question (laughs) for you to kind of wrap this section up is, you know, if someone's listening to this, who's maybe not as into coffee as like me and Laura, um, you know, a place like passenger is very beautiful, but for someone who doesn't normally drink espresso drinks or single origin coffee is like, it's very easy to feel intimidated walking in. And then you see this menu and you're like, I don't know what any (laughs) of this means. Um, so like, what would you say to someone like that and where should they start and how should they feel when they do walk into passenger, if they feel completely out of their element? Yeah. That's a, that's a wonderful question. Um, and I can really appreciate that. And I think that question is something that that we talk about within our team, like we, we hope and we've generally experienced that for, for the folks that are already on team specialty coffee, mm-hmm. they will seek us out. And, you know, I think in most cases they will have a good experience because they're, they already have that context. And I think if they've come from outside the area to visit, it probably means they're already a fan or at least interested in what we do. Yeah. Um, but I think, for folks, and especially folks in, in our local community uh, who don't have that ready-made context or even don't necessarily know what's going on. Yeah. And, and, 
and whether this is different from coffee experiences they've had in the past or, or what, um, I could definitely appreciate that. It could be a little confusing or a little mm-hmm. intimidating. I think our hope is that we can continue to like create a space for anyone who's interested that's bringing whatever type of sort of desire for whatever type of experience um, that they'll find sort of that we're ready to sort of meet them where they are. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the first piece of advice that I would give is uh, even if things are busy and you need to wait a little bit to be able to catch one of our staff in the cafe, mm-hmm. if you have the time, like wait a couple moments so that you can ask a question based on what you're interested in, because while the space may be a little disorienting at first, our team is really, really friendly, mm-hmm. really welcoming, and really well set up to, if necessary, have a little coffee interview with you mm-hmm. to see where you're at, what you're interested in, and what type of beverage is most likely to bring delight to your day. And that might be a coffee beverage. It might not be, mm-hmm. right? right? So it might be an espresso drink. They might encourage you based on what you're interested in to try something new. They might steer you to the tea menu. We have an unbelievable collection of teas as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's generally like a good first step is to to try to reach out to um, one of our barista team, one of our retail team to just sort of say, to ask whatever questions kind of occur to you regarding what's going on and what's available. I mm-hmm. think setting them up for success to hopefully like, help curate your experience so that it feels accessible and not too many decisions at once is always helpful. Um, Mm -hmm. But then I think the other thing that I would just say is if you, if you have a coffee beverage of any kind that you know, you enjoy uh, embrace that. And to the extent that you feel comfortable Share that as a starting point when you get Mm -hmm. to the register. You know, if you generally like coffee with milk and sugar, say that. Say, Mm -hmm. I usually like coffee with milk and sugar. Is there a coffee on your menu that I should choose? Mm -hmm. Or if you if you kind of want to try a fancy espresso drink, but you don't know where to start, um, to the extent that you feel comfortable, share that. Mm-hmm. Say, I've never had anything with espresso before. I'm kind of interested, but I, yeah. it also feels like a lot of decisions. Uh-huh. Do you, wh- where should I start? I mean, for me, I always say, if in doubt, order a cappuccino. Mm, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. It's not a huge drink. It tends to be yeah. a pretty balanced blend of steamed milk and espresso. Yeah. So yeah. it's not like too strong. It's yeah. not too crazy. I mean... Yeah. Cappuccinos are just delicious. Yeah, and Absolutely. passenger makes a real cappuccino. This is not the size of a soup bowl, which drives no. me nuts. Yeah. That's it's right. what eight ounces is a yeah, maybe even six. Six, in six. The yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, I yeah. Passengers cappuccinos top notch. It's always a good yeah. place to start, and yeah. then you know, if in doubt. If you like mm-hmm. chocolate, I mean, a mocha is never mocha. a bad move. Oh, yeah. That's what my dad always orders yeah. when he comes. Yeah. He's like, is it okay for me to order a mocha? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like I'll yeah. be right back, Dad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've got you covered. And I will say, too, that I am very much like you in the beginning of your story at that um, coffee shop in D.C., where, you know, I've slowly learned things over the years yeah. by being that person who walks into passenger and just asks questions. and. Yeah. 
passenger, your staff has always been just so oh, yeah. happy to answer any questions I have. I always get up to the register and I'll be like, well, I'm looking for this, but do you have this? Or like, what's this thing on the menu that I haven't seen here before? Yeah. And, you know, it's just, don't be afraid to ask questions. And like you said, if, if you're walking in saying, you know, I want to try an espresso drink, but I don't know where to start. Here's what I like. Just say that to the barista All, yeah. and they'll help you out. All of us who work at Passenger, like many of us work at Passenger because we were the most curious customers yes, in, right. the, in the room at one point. Right. So, so shame on us if we don't celebrate that. Yeah. Right. Um, that's something that I love so much mm-hmm. is folks that are curious mm-hmm. who are interested to say like, huh, this is like quite a show I just walked into what's mm-hmm. happening. Like let's, yeah. let me see kind of what part of this might be interesting for me. Yeah. And let me see if, uh, if there really are layers here, let me, let me taste and see if I agree with, right. with the stories that you're telling about right. these coffees. Yeah. That's great. Great suggestions. Okay. Our final question before we wrap everything up is mm. always a question we ask our guests because we are passports and pizza. We always ask what's your favorite pizza. I love this question so much. It says a lot about you. Yeah. 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 We're very intrigued. Well, I think the fact that I will really struggle to answer this question will also say a lot about me and like my sort of spiritual investment in pizza full stop. Okay. I think that's something that we definitely have in common is like (laughs) the fact that this is like a very important life and death question. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. So I may have to like sort of like start broad and like narrow in a little bit. But the first thing that I would say is like generally speaking, I'm like team square pie. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. So the first, like I almost have to go process of elimination, right? right? Square Uh pie. Square pie. So like more of the like Sicilian, maybe even Detroit style. Like we're talking like thicker crust. We're talking square. Mm. We're talking lots of caramelization on the outside of the crust and underneath. Right. So, and probably the like original reference point for me that like leads me to like, say I'm planning my, my flag in the stand team square pie. It goes back to, the pizzeria that like really changed my life. Okay. You, are you guys familiar with Defara in, yes. Bro- in Brooklyn? In Brooklyn. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Wow. Emotional. Yeah. I, I like it. For clapped. Have you guys yeah. had the square pie at Defara? No. 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 We okay. Before COVID, we actually had plans to do a neighborhood of of New York. Brooklyn mm-hmm. was is obviously not just a neighborhood, but we were like, yeah. if we go to Brooklyn, how would yeah. we ever choose? Right. Right. It's on our list. Because we do, part of what we do is um, pizza crawls that are called Feast of St. Pizza. Love that. And we did one in Lancaster as one of our favorites. Incredible. um, I know that Joe Badia from Badia Pizzeria in Philly was a big um, like disciple. Yes. No, that is absolutely the right right word. Um, So Dom DeMarco is kind of the the OG Defara genius. Mm -hmm. I have not been to Defara in a while, and I'm honestly not sure how much he's actually personally making pies anymore, which is like I feel (laughs) like a little choked up even saying that out loud. (laughs) Um, But... I sort of fell in love with that pizzeria, often driving from Washington, D.C. to Brooklyn and back to just mm. eat a pizza and kind of reset 
my like spiritual happiness <laughs> yeah, by going yeah. there. Yes. Um, and describing like that, and, and granted, he makes an incredible, Tafara makes an incredible round pie as well, which mm-hmm. it almost feels disrespectful to not mention. Yeah. But for me, the square pie is what's really, really, really special. And theirs in particular, um, that caramelization that I, that I talk about, my memory is going there and seeing them midway through the bake, pulling the sort of blackened square pie pans out of the oven, mm. slightly lifting the crust and uh. squirting more olive oil oh. underneath and then putting it back in. Whoa. So that would caramelize <laughs> even more. Um, it's an incredibly saucy pie okay. such that you're so hungry and you've been waiting so long because it's just absolute mm-hmm. chaos. Anytime you go to Defara, there's yeah. like very little semblance of a line or like a clearly like equitable ordering system. Right. It's, it's like, it's total chaos. Yeah. You have to go prepared. <laughs> yeah. You have to be willing to like elbow your way in and be aggressive enough to make sure that mm-hmm. someone else doesn't get your pizza. It's, it's life and death at times. But <laughs> I mean, it sounds like it's worth it's it. It's totally yeah. worth it. But yeah. like that pizza comes out of the oven. There's the, like the drizzle of the magic olive oil. There's fr- a giant bunch of fresh basil just cut over mm. the top right out of the oven. It comes in front of you and it's literally just molten sauce. Yeah. Oh, it's so it. hot. Like the times <laughs> that I've like, burned the inside of my mouth because yeah. I just couldn't wait. Yeah. Have, it's been many times. Like you literally have to like leave it for like a half hour in yeah. front of you to like calm down. Yeah. But it's absolute magic. And as good as it is out of the oven, it's even better at room temperature. Mm. So you go Ooh. up, you eat a few slices and then you drive back to Lancaster. Okay. And when you get home and yeah. you've got like half a pie mm. in your car, it's just absolute magic. So (laughs) I'm I'm here for like, I'm yeah, same. I'm basically here at the end of the day, as much as I love a like perfectly executed, slightly charred, crispy Neapolitan classic. Mm -hmm. I'm here for the, like something more like, caramely mm-hmm. slightly charred focaccia kind of base. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Um so, <laughs> so have you guys had the Zootropolis Detroit style yet? Um no, I haven't. I know that the sh- I know the chef. Okay. But um I've been hearing really really good things great. about that mm. pizza. Yeah, he's great. Um have you tried the grandma pie from Slice of Brooklyn? No. I feel like you'd vibe with it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All it's right. good. It's, yeah. it's right. not, it's not like a true Sicilian focaccia-y, but it, it is a square pie. Okay. And it's right. very saucy. So. Saucy yeah. is good. Yeah. Well, so it's the grandma pie. And yeah. last season of our show, we did an episode about Detroit style pizza. Yeah, we did. And on air, we made, um, the serious eats kind of perfected yes. how to make an authentic one at home. I know what you're talking recipe. about. And, very and good. I ordered like $30 of cheese from Amazon for it. It was and really, You got really some good. brick cheese in house? Oh, yeah. yeah. Brick cheese. Brick cheese. And nice. I got the Detroit style pan. Like we did it up. Yeah. And it was great. It was well worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I love it. Yeah. yeah. I'm excited. I'm so, I really loved the, I feel like we get a, talk for another hour yeah, about pizza. I mean, yeah. This is literally our podcast. It's yeah. just nerding out. You about, can just yeah. co-host with yeah. us from now on. Sounds great. Sounds good. Oh man. Um, so yeah, I mean, this was obviously a blast. Thank yeah. you so much for taking the time to Thank speak you with guys. us. We yeah. learned so much more than I even expected yes. to. Um, 
So where can people find Passenger online? Where can they buy the coffee if they don't live nearby? Where is it served around here? Just give us the scoop. Yeah, absolutely. So um, people can check out our coffee menu and lots of information about sourcing, about producers we work with so far um, at PassengerCoffee.com. I think we're also on Instagram at Passenger Coffee, I believe is correct. Um, and then NecessaryCoffee.com is also a separate site for that sister company that we talked about. Um, we have two retail locations here in Lancaster City. Uh, we were talking about the King Street sort of space, which is downtown near Central Market. Mm -hmm. Right, um, the square. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the showroom. We have sort of the most expansive menu of offerings in terms of coffees and teas kind of on offer there. Mm -hmm. And then we also have um, a cozier kind of espresso mm -hmm. bar here um, on the front end of our roasting space, which is actually right here on Plum Street. So okay. you'll see sort of the, the addresses for both of those spaces on PassengerCoffee.com. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think you'll also see some links and some lists to wholesale partners that we have as well, mm -hmm. kind of not only here in Pennsylvania, but also uh, a little bit around the country, especially kind of on the East Coast. Okay. Um, so yeah, lots of lots of great, great folks as well, kind of serving our coffee here and there. So depending on where listeners live, hopefully there's there's an option nearby. But mm -hmm. if not, um, we've got the full menu of offerings available for online um, purchase. Yeah. Thank you so great. much, Evan. This is so much fun. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank you. What a pleasure. It's yeah. been really, really great. I feel like this is the first, but certainly not the last podcast cupping, yeah. Um, yeah. which really worked out great. Yeah, it was fun. It, totally. it was great. Thank you. Yeah, thank All you right. so much. Absolutely. Okay. So instead of a listener question for this episode, we thought we'd do a couple little follow-ups because yes. we heard from some of you. Yes. And we wanted to be able to share with all the listeners. Absolutely. So, okay. Our last full episode, we had our travel, like, favorite items. So a lot yeah. of this is, like, catching up on that. So mm -hmm. Shannon from Instagram says, favorite travel item she can't live without? A pre-planned itinerary. Which is so true. I'm, I'm, no. That's not for you? But no, no. but you plan some things. <laughs> yeah, but I couldn't tell you on any given day what we're doing. Unless, okay. unless you have to book something ahead of time. Like, if I okay. were going to see the Coliseum, yeah, I might know what day I'm going to see the Coliseum. But true. Okay, yeah. See, I'm kind of like that where it's like I have a list of things to do and maybe a rough idea of when I'll do them. Right. But I don't necessarily have every minute of every day planned out. So yeah. I don't know if Shannon means that or not. Yeah, but Shannon, I definitely... how specific are we talking on this <laughs> yeah. itinerary? Do you have your breakfast, lunch, and dinner planned? Because I definitely right. have friends who, who plan their trips like that. And mm -hmm. I, am, I admire their hustle. Right. But I can't do it. Yeah, but my... Yeah, I don't go quite that far, but the thought of going somewhere without having done any kind of research or oh, any yeah, idea no. of where I'll go gives me so much anxiety. No, you got to research where you're going. <laughs> yeah. For me, it's more like, okay, 
I have my Google Maps. I yeah, star. that's what I was gonna say. Yeah, if I can't travel without my color coded Google Maps, yes, color coded Google Maps, where like everything starts, and you're like, well, we're gonna mm-hmm. be by here, and like there's a restaurant mm-hmm. that I heard about right here, yeah. and that's sort of how I plan my itinerary. But yeah. I imagine what Shannon's saying is like every every hour she knows what she's doing. Right. Is that is that true, Shannon? Follow up. Shannon, we need a follow-up to the follow-up. Follow-up to our follow-up. Absolutely. All right, next one. So then we heard from Caitlin on Instagram. She just also shared in in response to our travel episode. She said, I always pack a leather slash fabric pouch that I store my charging cables, AirPods, other tech accessories like headphones with a jack for the plane, which I thought was a good note. That is, yeah. That's a good thing to have pens etc so it's not loose in my bag and honestly it's so helpful oh and i don't think you mentioned this but maybe i missed it i also love an eye mask for plane naps and sleeping in hostels or hotels or airbnbs i thought to myself how i need to find myself an eye mask like a sleeping like i i can't sleep with the eye you know how the some Mm. airplanes give you those yeah they're so uncomfortable to me so you need like a fancy one yeah i want one that like cups my eyes (laughs) <laughs> you know what I mean? Like a sleeping one where I can sleep on my side. What do you mean cups your eyes? I don't know. I feel like the light always sinks in. Like, oh, do you know I, what I mean? Oh, okay. Yeah, where it's like very tight fitting. Yeah. But still comfortable. Yeah. So the light can't creep in from like, I feel the like I should invest. So Caitlin, you probably should. Let me know your eye mask situation. Yeah. But yeah, definitely the headphones with a jack for the plane. That's a great recommendation. You can't connect your AirPods to your little airplane TV. Yeah, and At the, least you and the headphones before. they give you are like always so cheap and they hurt your yeah. ears. Just saying. Yeah. Okay, a lovely DM from Phil, our plant expert. <laughs> yeah, Phil was our friend who was on our House Plants 101 episode last season. Which, if you haven't listened to, go check out. Um, Phil says, um, this was about our lunch packing uh, question we had. I think that was on their first episode. It was like packing mm-hmm. lunches. He says, love sandwiches, but not really a meat person. But he's also allergic to peanuts. So what he does is a pita pocket, hummus, lettuce, cucumber, tomato, and roasted eggplant. Uh, roasting the eggplant is the only prep needed ahead. Yeah. So that sounds delicious. A good little uh, vegetarian lunch suggestion. I never think about a pita pocket. Yeah, sometimes when I've done pita pocket stuff, I'll pack it <clears throat> empty, and then everything else is going to go in it. Right, you assemble almost like it a there. salad, and then I can just stuff it in. That's when nice. it's time to eat it, so it doesn't get soggy. That sounds great. Thank yeah. you all for following up with us. Was, these were lovely, and it's always wonderful to hear from you. So yeah, thanks, guys. Shall we do recommendations? Yes. Do you want to go first, or should I? You can go ahead. Okay. I have another YouTube recommendation. Is this another beauty person? Yes. <laughs> She's on a roll. <laughs> so um, it's someone I recommended to you who I think you really like. Uh, her name is Hannah Louise Poston. And she actually got her start on YouTube by documenting her no buy year. So in 2018, she did a year where she did not shop at all like – um you know, like she would buy things to like replace an item. Right. Or if she really needed something, she would buy it. And of course, she's obviously spending money on like groceries and gas and all the normal things. But, but she's not like actively <clears throat> buying new products for herself. Yes. Because, oh, and that's the other thing, like using up what she already has. It's like if she has three shampoos, you have to use up all three shampoos, even if it's not your favorite until you can buy a shampoo again. 
fascinating. Um, which if you ever read the book, um, is it called The Year of Less? I read it a couple years yeah, ago. That, I, well, there's a book called that. I don't know. Yeah, if that's, I think yeah. that's what it is where it's the woman who didn't shop for a year. Yeah. Um. So anyway, Hannah, this YouTuber I'm talking about, she did that as a way to completely reset because she had a shopping problem specifically with like beauty and makeup and, and skincare and all that stuff. And she knew she was out of control. So she had to do this and she documented the entire year. You can see it on her YouTube channel. That is just fascinating by itself. Yeah. And so the reason I love her channel is because she's kind of this perfect hybrid for me of like the makeup, skincare stuff that I love. But she's also always talking about budgeting and being very intentional about her spending, which is another thing that I really love. So it's like a good balance for me of like, yeah, watching these beauty YouTubers can really make you want to just go buy everything. Oh, absolutely. And then I watch Hannah's videos and she like brings me back to reality. And it's like, okay, here's why you don't need to buy this. Right. Or like, here's what you should think about before you actually spend money on something. But also she, she has a really great sense of style. Like she's kind of like retro. I feel like she has this like, 70s glam kind of vibe to her style which is unlike anyone else i really follow um but she's also extremely well spoken like so she doesn't like just talk about spending and budgeting or whatever like she is a beauty youtuber at this point but she's always throwing in that like mindfulness aspect and yeah, making cool. a point to use the products she already has. So she's not constantly using like the next new thing. She's using her favorite products. And then when she adds something to the collection, it's very purposeful. Right. Cause she's not just mindlessly buying things that are like the next cutting edge thing. Mm -hmm. She's like taking the time to really consider. Yeah. And do she'll I like purchase this? have a beauty budget for the month and then she'll tell you what she's spending on and why. And she, also has a budget for her channel for self-sponsored reviews. So she might buy something that seems interesting right. and then give an actual review. But also just in general, like her channel is just so good. Like she does what she calls insanely thorough reviews of <laughs> products. Um, so if there is something you're interested in knowing more about, definitely see if she's done any kind of content on it because yeah. she really just takes her time with stuff and – she also gets like vulnerable and I don't know. She's, she's my new favorite channel at the moment. And what's her name again? Hannah Louise Poston. Yeah. That's good. My recommendation is a book, cookbook called Tasting Rome, mm -hmm. which Oops, you've <laughs> taken a look at, right? I have that book. Okay, good. Mm -hmm. So, um, I have had this book for a very long time and I feel like all of us chronic cookbook buyers constantly just like don't revisit our cookbooks as much as we should. Mm -hmm. I have so many cookbooks and like, I'm constantly just wanting new ones. You think you have so many? Oh, I know. Ones? I'm like new to the game. <laughs> yeah. And like, um, so anyway, I've had this book for years. I probably got it like right when it came out. Um, I think you got it like when I did. Yeah. I think yeah. We both got it when it came out. Yeah. It's a beautiful book. Um, and what I love most is like Katie Parla is pretty much the ex the female expert you want to explain Roman foods 
and Italian foods. She's she's had other books. She had a book on cooking for the Italian South, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, she was on Stanley Tucci's uh, uh, Italy show. I still need to watch. Oh that. my god, Sarah, you have to watch it. It's so good. Yeah, it's gonna make you like die. Yeah, to go back to Italy. <sighs> it's yeah, literally the reason why we're going back. Really, like, Stanley Tucci. Tucci did it. Ugh, that, anyway, that man. Katie Parlow's on his Rome episode. Okay. And she's great. Um, but I decided to prepare for us going to Rome this summer. I'm spending the whole year, like, learning Italian and learning about, like, Roman history. And I have this little, like, bucket list that I'm doing, which is really fun. Mm-hmm. And I'm documenting on TikTok <laughs> as much as I can. Yeah. I'm not putting that much pressure on myself to do it. It's just, like, yeah. while I'm cooking, I'll take a few shots and, like, try to set up some things. I'm not going to be the next Emily Marico. I don't know who that is. Um, hello, Salmon Girl. What? How have you missed this girl? What? Who's Salmon Girl? Are you serious? Yeah. What am I missing out on? No, you have to know who Emily Marico is. I don't think I do. She... Oh, my God. What? She... <sighs> Laura is so distraught. This girl took over TikTok for, like, two weeks. I don't know about this. Okay, she is, like... A very centered, I think she's a YouTuber, actually. She started as a YouTuber, but she has a TikTok. And she has very calming, like, kind of ASMR-y ways of, like, preparing a meal. Okay. No music. Just her, like, the texture sounds. And, like, she I don't like that things. stuff. It's not super crazy. It's actually very, like, it's calming. Okay. It's not, like... Okay, but like some that. of those some of those things like that I can't watch them. No, but I think you would like her because she's extremely like healthy, but she's balanced. Like she has carbs. She has literally mm-hmm. like white girls believing in white rice again. <laughs> okay. So her main dish is I can't believe we're on this tangent. Um <laughs> she took like white rice uh-huh. and she took salmon that she had used for another dish and she put the salmon on top of the white rice and then she just takes her fork and like splices it up. Heats it up in the microwave with an ice cube. Okay. Takes. I can't believe you haven't seen this. I have this. not seen this. Oh, my God. Okay. What happens after the ice cube? This recipe took... It's like the, the feta pasta really? from TikTok. Yeah. And then she takes it out of the microwave, and then she takes mayonnaise, sriracha, and soy sauce, and just, like, mixes the rice and the salmon together, uh-huh. and then takes seaweed wrappers and takes her chopsticks and just, like, scoops up a little bit of that oh. mixture and eats it. Okay. And it's delicious. You've made it? Uh-huh. Okay. I can't believe you don't know who I'm talking about. I haven't seen it. Anyway, I'm not going to be her. Okay. <laughs> anyway, I will send you her. All that to say. <laughs> if, if everyone's like, what the hell is Laura talking about? Like, we'll, we'll link it in the show notes and okay. I'm going to send it to Sarah on TikTok so All she right. knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> but anyway, she is like so calming and like so peaceful in her vi- That's not uh-huh. what I'm doing. It's like if I'm making a recipe, I might try to take a couple of shots of it. Yeah. But your your videos are very like calming and peaceful. Well, that's nice. Yeah, I do enjoy the process, so I'm trying to. It's you good, know, you know. But it's not always like everything. Like normally, my kitchen's very messy, and like there's mm-hmm. stuff everywhere. Yeah. Anyway, so I am documenting this whole bucket list thing on TikTok and to prepare for us to go to Rome. Mm-hmm. But this cookbook, Tasting Rome, is just like a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. It is so well done. Like. Not only do do like uh, she separates it by really like traditional elements of Roman cooking, and because I cooked my way through Italy last year, I can just like really appreciate how much like mm. time she thought about 
you know, I do want to talk about the Jewish section of Rome and like what, Mm -hmm. what, you know, what ingredients would you find in Jewish recipes as opposed to like traditional Roman recipes? And she has like festival foods. It's just like the best. Also, the photography is Mm -hmm. 10 out of 10. What's your favorite thing you've made so far? Okay. I made these cookies called Brutti Buani, which means ugly but delicious okay and i feel like you really like these they're basically toasted hazelnuts blitzed mm-hmm. powdered sugar and water and you heat it on a cast iron skillet before you actually form them and put them in the oven okay they're delicious hmm. they're very good they're like nutty and savory and like that toasted mm-hmm. hazelnut flavor is so delicious that's cool and they do look ugly yeah. But they're delicious. So. <laughs> nice. Also, she has, like, the the classic, like, carbonara and mm-hmm. almatriciana. I've made Pacho that Pepe. one from yeah. the almatriciana. Yeah. So, those are, she's, yeah. like, the staple things. But she also has very, like, niche foods there, too. I think she just mm-hmm. really honors the food traditions of one city. Yeah. And just, like, can I be Katie Parla? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was doing research in her book for places to go in Rome when I was prepping for my trip in March of 2020 that never happened. Listen, she, she, I think she lives in Rome full time. Okay. But she like literally her life is just like Roman food. So if there's any person to learn like where you should eat and like Mm -hmm. what you should be cooking, it's her. So I'm loving this book. It's literally always by my side now because I'm trying to think about like, oh, what do I want to make next? So it's been really fun. I love just like, the way, like, you're cooking through that book. And I'm still s- very slowly cooking my way through oh, right. 100 Cookies by Sarah Kiefer. Yeah. Like, I have another recipe from it that I'm going to make for Thanksgiving. Right. Um, But, yeah, I think you really can get a lot out of focusing on one yeah. cookbook. Like Absolutely. That. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know nice. if I'm going to get through all of this book, but I'm going to do a lot of it. Mm-hmm. So that's the goal. Yeah. So anyway, Tasting Rome is my recommendation this week. Awesome. Well, I think that's it then. Yeah, everybody. Time to sign off. Thanks for listening as always. Please subscribe and leave us a review and tell a friend about us. Absolutely. And make sure you reach out. We love to hear from you. We're on Instagram at Passport Pizza Pod. Our email is hello at passportsandpizza.com. And you can always text us and leave us a voicemail at 717-964-0215. We have not received a voicemail yet. Yeah, we, we could Step use one it up. Guys. Please. Call us. You don't even have to say anything important. Literally, just, <laughs> just call us. We just like to hear from you. Yeah. Just checking in. You know. Um, and you can find our show notes with everything that we talked about today at passportsandpizza.com. Um, and you can follow us individually. Sarah is at Sarah underscore Cornelius underscore, and I am Rome and Go Lightly. And thank you to Will Gehrig for our theme music. And we'll talk to you guys next time. Can't you? On- Wait, hold on. The next Wait. one is in the new year. I was going to say our next one is our new year's resolutions. Wow. What? Yeah, get ready for that. Woo! Forewarning, it's not going to be very exciting. I mean, <laughs> you don't know. We'll see, we'll you see. Know. You know, you get a lot done last month. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> you know. But we're just saying we don't have big goals for Mm-mm. 2022. <laughs>
I mean, we have one goal. Oh, that's true. We, we, we kind of do, do have, have a big goal. goal. We have a goal. We do. Maybe we'll share it on the podcast. <gasps> Should we do that? I doubt it. Well, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll leave you in suspense. Yeah, we'll leave you with that teaser. Hey. <laughs> All right. All right. See you guys in the new year. XMXO, Gossip Girl. Love you like a sister. L-Y-L-A-S. Bye. Bye. I'm in position. Okay. Let me see. Ugh. <laughs> that is so gross. <laughs>